Aleluia. Ok. Real simple title. I think everybody's going to be able to follow this. Ok. Real simple title. Say with me, eight. That's the number eight. No-nos. Eight no-nos. Ok. Now there may be more than eight no-nos here. But we're going to point out eight no-nos to you tonight in this chapter. Plus some other things. Uh, each one of these verses basically are a message in and of themselves. So once you read that one verse and you speak a little bit about it, then you go to the next verse and you got a totally different message. And so we could spend a lot of time preaching on these verses, but we're going to do our best just to teach you verse by verse, okay? All right, verse 1 of chapter 20, Proverbs. First no-no. Look at your neighbor and say, first no-no. First no-no. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing, God, to be upon the reading of your holy word. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise and the worship. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. So the first no-no in this chapter is stay away from strong drink. Even a sip. I don't know if you realize this, but the moment, if you take alcohol into your mouth, the moment that you take the first drink, the first drink, you are be beginning to be drunk. Okay? Now, I'm going to read a little bit to you here, so don't go to sleep on me. This is coming out of the Reader's Digest. I, mean, I wrote this years and years ago down in my notes, just to kind of give you an idea of what happens to you when you take alcohol in your mouth, how fast it works. Okay? So no, no. What happens is, uh, and this is with the first sip, just a sip. 1988 Reader's Digest. First swallow. The tongue and the mouth and the throat immediately are inflamed. 10% of the alcohol goes direct to the blood. The rest is absorbed by the intestine into blood, into the blood. Within two minutes, the first molecules reach the carotid artery, goes to the brain. Okay, you with me here? At that point, you become lightheaded. The liver creates poison, metabolizes. Okay, it begins to impact the blood pressure, blood flow, the chemistry of the brain, and the organs that fast. So the key is, this is a no-no, do not drink strong drink. And so the best way to never get drunk is to never drink the first drink. Now Alexander the Great, how many of you heard of Alexander the Great? He conquered the world in his day, basically, the then known world in his day. But he died before he reached the age of 40. And it was because he could not conquer his desire for alcohol. Can you imagine conquering the then known world but not having the ability to conquer yourself? That was Alexander the Great. He died because of that. Alcoholism is a very, very, very serious problem in the United States of America. And I was reading statistics today and I'm not going to get into that. I don't have time. Like I said, every, every one of these verses is a message in and of themselves. But the statistics are mind-boggling. How many millions of people 
are addicted to alcohol. Alcohol. I think I read 11 million people are addicted to alcohol. So it is a very, very serious problem. Uh, once people, sometimes people take it in and they think, man, I can stop anytime I want to. But a lot of times that, that's not possible. They just become addicted to it and they're hooked on it, right? You with me here? Some people call it a disease. They call alcoholism a disease. Well, if it's a disease, then why is the government letting commercials promote it? It's not a disease. Do you understand? You might call it that, but it's not a disease. According to the Word of God, it is something that you and I should stay completely away from. It can destroy your life. Okay? You with me here? Alright, so the first no-no is stay away from wine or strong drink. Very serious. Amen. I thank God that He's able to deliver us. How many of y'all have been delivered from things like that in your past? Okay. Amen. Now, most of you would say, well, I wasn't an alcoholic. Alcoholic, I could quit any time. Sure you could. No, you couldn't. You had to have God deliver you from it. Yeah, amen. Praise the Lord. Number two, no, no. Verse two. The fear of a king is as the roaring of a lion. Whoso provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own soul. Okay? Now, any authority that, that God sets up in the earth, we're in the, we're still in human government. Dispensation of human government started a long time ago. Way back in the days of Noah. Okay? We're still in that as far as the commands that are required in human government is still over us on planet earth. Even though we're in the church age. So human government is the way God operates. The way He controls sin and evil in the earth is to place authority, delegated authority on the planet, like law enforcement. And it talks about the king here. It's talking about the importance of obeying laws. You with me here? Authority comes from God. Now I realize that there are some laws that are extreme, and I realize that some laws are really not as extreme as they should be. You with me here? But we as believers, born-again believers, have a responsibility before God if I'm just going to limit this passage to civil government or to law enforcement, which is more than that. It has to do with any authority that is delegated by God. Okay? We have a moral obligation as people of God to obey the laws of the land. Okay? Now, if they go against the law of God, you with me? Then we don't obey it. Like if the law says, all right, it's okay uh, to have homosexual marriages. Well, just because the law of the land says it's okay, the Bible says it's not okay, I will never perform a homosexual marriage as a pastor. Never. Okay? And the law of the land might try at some point to force me to do that. But I will never do that, even though it's the law of the land, because it goes against the law of God. With me here? Okay. So, even though sometimes laws are extreme on one hand, and they're not what they should be on the other hand, we as the people of God have a moral obligation to be law-abiding citizens. Okay. And some people have an idea, well, if I'm a Christian, I don't have to be obligated to human government. I'm responsible to God directs, says some people. 
I'm, I'm not accountable to human government. Really? If you're morally accountable to God, that means you have to also be morally accountable to the law. You can't be morally accountable to God and be a lawless individual. This is very important then. So the no-no is this. Do not be a lawless individual. Right? In civil government, whatever you find yourself in at work, wherever you are, do not be a rebellious individual. Okay? It'll bring some consequences in your life. The Bible says it'll bring destruction. Look at it, verse 2. The fear of a king is as a roaring lion, whoso provoketh him to anger, sinneth against his own soul. You will bring destruction upon your own life if you're a lawless individual. Okay, you with me here? So don't be like that. Don't be a rebellious kind of a person because you will bring destruction upon your own life. The Bible says here it's kind of like poking a lion. Y'all, y'all kind of, y'all heard that story about poking the bear? There's a lot of people, man, they'll poke the bear because the bear's in the cage, you know? Taunting it, poking the bear. Well, what are you going to do when the bear gets out of the cage and comes and talks to you? See what I'm saying? That's what God's talking about. You poke the bear long enough, you play around with authority long enough and rebel long enough, eventually the lion's going to get you. It's going to bring destruction on you. So what are you doing? You're literally bringing destruction on your own life by being a lawless individual. Okay, so I'm applying this basically to government at this point. But it's much more than that. So no-no is do not be a lawless individual. Verse 3, It's an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. Look at your neighbor and tell him, mind your own business. (laughs) Only fools want to get into other people's business. Praise the Lord. (laughs) And some people are assigned, you know, we have to. If you're a pastor, you have to be involved with other people's business. But don't be one of those kind of people that are always trying to get into other people's business and and intermeddling. Okay? Right? It's not a good thing. Mind your own business. It's important. One thing I think he's addressing in this verse right here, again, is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. It takes it to a level where now we see a person that's not just wanting to get in somebody else's business, but it's somebody's always wanting to start an argument. There's some, there's some people, brothers and sisters, that that's all they're about is starting arguments. God says don't be that kind of a person. You're always arguing all the time. Right? Amen. Just mind your own business. Praise the Lord. Be a person of peace. Verse 4. At this point, we'll give you the number 3. No, no. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore, shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. See that? What is the no-no here? Do not neglect proper work ethics. I'm going to let you catch up with me. Everybody all right? Okay. Okay. What's going to happen? If you are a sluggard, like the Bible says right here, won't plow by reason of the cold. Well, it's too cold outside. You know. So I'm not going to go out there, says the sluggard, and I'm not going to expose my skin to the cold weather. You know, one translation says the winter. 
Oh, it's winter time. I'm not going out there. Well, what does the Bible say? When the harvest time comes, because he didn't go out there and sow in the cold weather, when harvest time comes, he won't have a harvest. He'll be lacking. So a lot of people lack necessities in life because they're like the sluggard. They're always making excuses for why they're not doing what they should do in order to have what they need. Amen? Alright, so do not be this kind of a person right here. No, no. No, no. Look, you know, say, no, no. Not a sluggard. We've already talked about him before, right? Not only does he want to go out, he doesn't want to go outside because it's cold, but he'll say, there's a line out front. And we, what do we say? There's sometimes real lines out there, but there's some lines that are imaginary. That's the sluggard. Always coming up with excuses as to why they're in this condition they're in. It's never them. Okay? Don't make excuses in life. If you're looking for excuses, you'll always have one. Just don't give yourself an excuse. Don't be like the sluggard. You're going to find what's going to happen in the end. You're not going to have a harvest. You're going to be lacking. That's just the way. This is the law. The Word of God is true. Okay, you with me here? Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, the New Testament. I'm going to go pretty quickly tonight because I've got a lot of verses. So in the New Testament... Verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Okay? And there's some people, they have disabilities or whatever that keep them from working. God's not talking about that. He's talking about people who won't work. They're sluggards. He said, if you don't work, you don't eat. You're going to have lack. So be diligent in business. Look at your neighbor and say, be diligent in business. Work hard. It's important to get a work, good work ethic. So the no-no in this passage is, do not, no-no, do not neglect a good work ethic. Praise the Lord, church. Verse 5. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. So first thing you got to do before you really know what's inside of a person, you got to get close to them. You don't spend time with somebody, you don't know what's in them. I was, it's a true statement, it's not original with me, but I, I do say it. Everybody has a story. Every life has a story. And it is really amazing at times, it's not until the person passes away, Man, you find out what this person did, what they accomplished, okay? Wow, I didn't know they did that. I didn't know they had that ability, you know? And it's because everybody has a story, but you don't know what's in them until you get close to the person. You with me here? Okay, so let's use Jesus as an example. 
Jesus was a well, a deep well. And a man by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3 goes up there uh, to Jesus by night. He said, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can work these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And so what did Jesus do? He told Nicodemus, here's what your need is, Nicodemus. Even though Nicodemus was the most advanced theologian in his day, he knew the Old Testament inside and out. He was a master teacher. Jesus said he was. You are the teacher of Israel, he said. And you don't even know what I'm talking about. A master theologian, the teacher of Israel. You with me here? A member of the Sanhedrin court. Very devout man. Didn't understand what Jesus was talking about when he said, you must be born again of the water and the spirit. Well, Nicodemus went to him to get close to Jesus, says, uh, to Jesus, no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with you. Okay? And Jesus didn't even talk about miracles. He looked at that man and he said, you have a need. Even though you have all this religious credentials, you are a master theologian, you have a need, and that is to be born again. So what flowed out of Jesus was when Nicodemus went to him, this truth that Jesus had of how to be born again was revealed to Nicodemus. And it came out of Jesus at that moment. With me here? Okay. Think about the woman of Samaria. Right? How many times was she married? Married five times. Jesus said, you've been married five times and the one you're living with is not your husband. That's six. That's six men in her life. Pretty soon you think she'd just open her hand and say, forget it. Six men. Well, really, when she got close to Jesus there, the woman at the well, then Jesus recognized what her need was. And her need was the water of salvation. See, she had a need. And what was her need? Nicodemus' need was a mental need. He needed understanding about the Scripture. And Jesus taught it to him. The Samaritan woman's need was a moral need. And when she got close to Jesus, she drew that out of him. And, she, and he taught her about the waters of salvation. And the sixth one she was living with was not her own, but the seventh one was the husband she really needed was sitting right there in front of her. Say praise the Lord. And that he's the one that can meet the needs in her life. So we see this deep well that was in Jesus Christ. And when people got around him, it flowed out of him. Their needs were met. Whether it be mentally or morally, he just had this ability. Amen. So praise God. The Bible tells, praise the Lord, amen. So sometimes what you need and what I need in my life is to get close to the right people. Because there is a deep, deep well within them that you may not know about. You get around them, you find out what starts flowing out of them, how much help they would be in, in your life. Amen. So don't cut yourself off from the right people. Okay, amen. So counseling the heart of a man is like deep water. But a man of understanding will what? Draw it out. Why? Because that person 
that needs something is going to go to that other person and draw that knowledge, draw that information out of them and get the help that they need. Don't be the kind of person that you're a self-made man. That you don't need anybody else. Okay? That you don't need to talk to anybody, tell anybody about your problems. You're just going to handle it on your own. In a multitude of counselors, counselors, there is safety. Amen? There might be somebody out there that's going to protect you from making a really bad decision. So, amen. Be sensitive to who God puts in your life to help you. Verse 6. Uh, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Right? Obvious. You got everybody will say, you know, that they're good. Everybody talks a good talk. Everybody sees themselves as being legitimate. But God's Word here is saying, here's, there's really few people that you can depend on. A lot of people just have the good talk, but you can't depend on them. And uh, I think about Providence Melvis. She's not just talking the talk. and She's out there getting the job done. Okay? So there's a lot of people, man, they talk a good talk. But when it comes down to it, you can't depend on them. They're not loyal. So that's what the verse is saying. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. That's few. Few of them. Verse 7, The just man walketh in his own integrity. His children are blessed after him. How many of y'all want your children to be blessed? Okay, I do too. I want my children to be blessed. Now, in the book of Exodus, the Bible talks about it in chapter 20, that the sins of the parents can be passed down to the children of the third and fourth generation. Now, what does that mean? So if I sin against God, does that mean that God's going to punish my children for that sin? If the sins are passed down to the third and the fourth generation? I sinned against God, so God's going to punish my son or punish my son's son. You understand? On down the road. Is that what it means? No. God does not punish your children if you're a parent for your sin. He doesn't do that. You understand that? Okay. But what it teaches is, listen brothers, it's very important. What it teaches is that there is a consequence that when the parents sin, that that consequence can come on the children. Doesn't mean they're paying for the sin of the parent, but there's a consequence. So for example, you had a father that was, as we talked about before, was addicted to alcohol. Now God's not going to judge you for the sin of your father, but you will find in your life at times that you'll fight, have to fight the same temptation off of alcoholism. Are y'all with me? Because of that influence that comes on the children. So there are consequences that come. Oftentimes, you will see a, a, a son repeat the same sins of the father. So on and so forth. A child repeating the same sins as the parent. Why is that? Because that influence, that spirit that is in that parent will begin to work on that child. You have to renounce that in your life. 
And they said, well, why am I tempted? Why do I want? I always just, like some people say, I have a desire for alcoholism or whatever. Where's that coming from? To check and see what your father was doing or your grandfather was doing. You with me here? With me here? Okay. You're not going to pay for their sin, but there's a, there's a, a carryover. Now, we talked about this. We learned about this when we taught y'all or showed y'all those video series on the brain. You with me here? What pornography does to the brain. So, person's watching pornography. It gets all of these things going on in the brain. The brain literally changes. It literally changes. Okay? These addictions. Children are born. And literally, what happened to the brain of that person is transferred somehow to the genetic code of that child. So when they grow up, they're going to have problems with pornography. So God is not saying that you, the child is going to pay for the sin of the parent, but you have to understand, parents, that you are influencing your children for good or for bad. Now, the positive side is what he's talking about here. You with me here? The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. So just like you can have a negative influence upon your children, or your parents can have a negative influence upon you. Now, I know for me, okay, my father abandoned us when I was three years old. Okay? And I'm not going to get into the history of my dad, my real dad, but it wasn't good. Uh, so later on when I got married, I made a note of what my dad did to us, how he abandoned us, so on and so forth. So it, like, some kind of problem, and very rarely, you know, it wouldn't never got to that point in our house, but if a major problem would rise up, what would be the thing I'd, I'd want to do? I'd want to run. I'd want to run. Why would I want to run? Because that's what my dad did. He ran. Okay? And when he got into financial problems, I'm talking about my own dad. When he got into financial problems, you know what he did? He stole. And I didn't even know it until recently. My mother told me that my, my dad died in a prison. Now, I'm not happy about that, but if I'm going to be your pastor, I'm going to be honest with you about some things. Okay? See, some people always want to, they want to put, it's good to honor your parents, but don't put them on a pedestal and follow in their footsteps. So I got, I've got a history in my genes. If I follow the footsteps of my father, that when, when it gets tough, fly, run. Run from every problem that you face. Okay? Or if you get in a financial problem, you know, manipulate, connive, deceive, be a thief. Well, those things... You have to renounce those if you know that you've got that in the history of your family history. It's called a generational curse. I'm trying to help you today. Generational curses are real. Doesn't mean you're paying the price of the sin of your father or your mother, but they will follow you. And you literally have to renounce those generational curses 
that come as a result of what your parents do. They may have been involved in witchcraft. They may have been involved in Satanism. They may have been involved in spiritism. And you don't know anything about it. And so you have to renounce those things. Okay? Everybody with me? So I don't want to pass on any negative thing to my children. I want to be like this verse talks about the just man, the righteous man, as the Scripture says here, walking in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. So if you can pass on negative traits to your children, you can also pass on positive traits to your children. I say, Pastor, I see where I passed on so many negative traits to my kids. The good news is not too late if you're in the church. Because you can renounce that curse, you can renounce that pattern in life. You can say, you can get honest and say, the buck stops with me. I know that's the way daddy did it. I know that's the way mama did it. But the buck, the buck stops with me. I'm not doing it that way. Because I want blessings to come on my family. I want my children to be blessed. So don't think, do not think, parents, that you don't have any influence upon your kids. It can be for good, or as this verse is talking about, it can be for good, for good or bad. Bad this verse talks about for good. How many of y'all want it to be for good? I want it to be for good. You check the patterns. You look at the patterns. There's some little kids, you don't even know who their parents are. But you can, you don't know them, you haven't met them, whatever, and say, hey, he sure does act like so-and-so. <laughs> Come to find out, He's so-and-so's son. How could you see that in the child? I don't have time to get into this in great detail, but when a child is born to a family, in the genetic code, physical qualities are not the only thing they get. They get the soul qualities of the person. That's why they may be just like two or three years old, you know, just barely getting around but they act just like the parent. And that can be good, or that can be bad. And I never knew that until I studied a little bit in the area of theology, took some theology courses. I didn't understand that. I thought the traits that we receive were only physical. And then I found out that the traits of the soul are also transformed in genetics. They say, praise the Lord. There's some things that I don't want to reap. There's some things you don't want to reap. You want to cancel them, put them under the blood. The buck stops here. I'm not doing that. So I got some children. They're going to follow in my footsteps. Say praise the Lord. The good news, if you're in the church, you can cancel those generational curses, put them under the blood, and then fight the devil and everything you got, man, to raise your children in the house of God. Be faithful to God. Because God will bless you. God will bless your children. And I know that's what you want. Verse 8. A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes. Okay, so once we're dealing with authority again. So we've got a king. Like Think about Solomon. 
people would come before him. Really, he failed in this area. He should have, as a king, had the eyes that could look right through you. Okay? And in some cases, he, he did a lot of good. He did the right things in some cases. Some cases, he didn't. Some cases, he didn't get rid of, rid of evil. Some cases, he let evil come right into the land. Okay? He adopted the horrible practices of those pagan wives of Baalism, the worship of Ashtaroth, whose symbol is to ride on the back of a beast naked. And they called that picture holy. Babylonian holiness. And the servants, the men that were in her cult, they called them sodomites with very little change in the word. What that means is they called that nude woman which promoted lewd practices in a false religion, they called her holy and the men that served her, they called them consecrated to her. And Solomon allowed that to come into the kingdom. He did not drive it away. We'll get it to another verse in just a little bit. How he should have driven that out. He should have removed that kind of rebellion and that kind of sin out of the land, but he didn't. So he failed in some areas. But when he was sitting on the throne, as the verse says here, he had the power, if he walked in that anointing, to look through people's lives. You know, some people use the term, see into their soul. When a, when a king is walking with God the way he was supposed to walk, he could look right into the souls of people. He knew what, what, what was going on. He could discern if they were telling the truth or, or if they were lying. Now, the Bible says, Jesus, eyes are as a flame of fire. And I promise you on judgment day, those eyes as a flame of fire in the king's face. Jesus is going to look right through people's lives into their soul. And so the Bible says he has, if he's walking where he shouldn't with God, telling us here that the eyes will drive away the evil. Amen. All he had to do was look. Just look. A certain look. And that's it. Okay. Verse 9. Who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Nobody can. Nobody can say that you have purified yourself or cleaned your own life up. Mm -mm. No. In fact, Isaiah, a great prophet of God, when he saw God in all of His holiness, he said, Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? For my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. Even the prophet, when he saw the holiness of God, recognized that he wasn't clean. And so the Bible tells us in 1 John that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you. You can't clean yourself up. Only Jesus can clean you up. Okay? Praise the Lord. Not people talk about self self effort and uh, making yourself better. Well, I get that, 
But as far as cleaning your life up, you can't do that. You've got to have Jesus Christ to do that. Verse 10. Divers' weights and divers' measures, both of them are alike abomination to the Lord. Okay, so we'll put a number four on this one. Number four no-no is stay away from dishonest business practices. Talks about weights and measures here. You know. I think a cord of wood is four by four by eight. Stacked. Brother Mark, is that right? I think it's four by four by eight. Okay. So you call somebody up and you say, Hey, I need a cord of wood so I can burn it in my fireplace in the wintertime. Right? So they put it in a little old pickup truck and they bring it up there to you and they dump it in the backyard and make it look like it's real big, piled up. Well, when the little truck drives up there with the, with the wood, first of all, you know that's not a cord of wood because a cord of wood is four foot, you with me here? By four foot by eight. That's stacked. So you call somebody and say, I need a cord of wood. They show up, dump it up, tell them, stack it and measure it. Sometimes they won't do that. You know why? Because there's not a cord of wood there. They might have brought you a half a cord of wood and said it was a cord. That's what he's talking about right here. Okay? So you got to be careful with people, man. They will rip you off. You order, you order a truck, a yard, let's say, a yard worth of dirt, topsoil. Right? And you got a truck that pulls up, and the truck, you say it's a, it's a five yard dump truck. It can handle five yards. And it pulls up, you order a yard, it pours out, little old pile, little bucket full pours out. You go, I know that's not a yard. Looks like a bucket. What he says, well, look, if this truck is a five-yard truck, was it just because it's a five-yard truck don't mean it's got a yard worth of dirt in it. All I'm trying to tell you is you've got to be careful with people because they will call things a certain thing. It's not real. It's not true. They'll rip you off. So you might be, and I, I don't know if y'all are into cord of wood. I don't have no cord of wood. My fireplaces are gas. I just light the thing, you know. But that... Praise the Lord. How many of you have ever ordered a cord of wood? Nobody? Okay, I shouldn't even have went there. <laughs> different crowd. I shouldn't change the way I preach it. This is a different crowd. How many of you have ever ordered concrete? You need concrete for your house. Okay. You ordered a certain amount. When it got there, you were short. Anybody? Brother? Yeah. Happens, happens all the time. So you probably got to look at it and say, hey, that doesn't look like what I ordered. If you go back over to the concrete place and ask him, how much did he pick up? He'll tell you the truth. He'll tell you maybe it was a certain amount, but it wasn't. you got to be careful. People rip you off. So that's what he's talking about here. That kind of dishonesty in business. People will say it's one thing and it's not. Okay. Divers weights and divers measures, both of them are like an abomination to God. That's a no-no. It's a no-no. 
be just in business. Verse 11, even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure, whether it be right. So we get back to the children again, you know. Amen. So the Bible says you can look at a child and what they do, what they say, tells you exactly what kind of child it is. That's kind of scary, isn't it? <laughs> right? Sister Christina, I was talking about this the other day, going home. When Victoria, a little girl, man, we tried to go in a restaurant, and she cried the whole time. We'd sit down, and we'd try to order, and she cried, and she cried, and she cried. We'd try to get her to shut up. She wouldn't shut up. I'd have to take her outside, and I'd spank her, and as soon as I brought her back into the restaurant, here she goes, crying and crying and crying and crying again, you know. Well, that didn't put a very good reflection on me. Or Sister Christina. Are you with me here? So the Bible's it's true. You can look at a child, and you know what kind of child it is. How? How do you how can you know what kind of child it is? By the things they say and by the things they do. Okay? So if you've got a, got a got a child that likes to share, how do you know if that child likes to share? What they do and what they say. But what if you got a selfish child on your hands? This is mine. You need to share it with little John. No, this is mine. I'm not sharing with nobody. So by their doings, you're going to know what kind of kids you got. You either got a selfish one or you got a sharing one. Pretty easy, right? How many of y'all know what kind of children you have? How many of y'all have good kids? Just don't worship them. Because they'll let you down every time. Okay? <laughs> Praise the Lord. By faith, I have good kids. Amen. But I am not closing my eyes either, you know. Praise the Lord. I, I, maybe someday in the future I'll tell you some stories, you know. I mean, the moment you think that they're good kids and they do something, you go, oh. And what's worse, you find out it was true, you know. Are you here? Okay, say praise the Lord. So by their actions and by the way they talk, you know what kind of kid they are. Man, don't, don't worry, we can't walk around covering our eyes and, you know, putting our head in the sand and act like we don't have a problem when we got one. Let's live in reality. Okay, praise the Lord. What you see is what you get. What they say, what they do, that's who they are. It's what the Bible says. Amen. You say, well, my dad, I got a good kid. My kid was good. They, he, he just ran with Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> Can we live in reality? Everybody here? Okay, praise the Lord. Let's all live in reality. Hope for the best and pray, 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 man. <laughs> Verse 12. 
Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because sometimes they're, they're pretty tricky, brother. They act like one thing in, when they're around you. And then when they get away from you, they're totally different. And maybe some of you don't know that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Are you all right? Sure, it's quiet in here tonight. Well, I can laugh some of the stuff <laughs> coming to my mind right now, but we won't talk about it. <laughs> I think if I were to tell you, it probably shock some of you, but anyway, hallelujah. <laughs> But anytime they do something, you know, that's really what they shouldn't be doing, I'm going to blame Sister Christina. That's not me. Amen. Nose rings, that's because of her. Belly rings. Where did you learn that? You learned that from me. Nose rings and belly rings. You must have got that from your mama. <laughs> Anyway, enough said. Won't go there any further. <laughs> but I have discovered some things, you know, and I'm going, why would you do something like that? Well, I'm trying to fit in. Well, you're trying to fit in with the wrong people, you know. Hello, everybody. I'm trying to help you parents. Don't walk around with your eyes closed. They might be good around you, but when they get away from you, the true character comes out. Because character is what we are when nobody's watching. Let me say it again. Character is what we are when nobody's watching. Amen. So by what they do, what they say, even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure, whether it be right. And hopefully, most of the time, it's pure and right. Pray to God most of the time. And, some, and sometimes it's not your fault. Amen. My children have done some things. I know it wasn't my fault because I never did that. Okay? And I have to ask Sister Christina if she did that, but I don't... Okay? So don't blame yourself for everything they do. Just, just don't cover your eyes. Okay, verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. I believe that? Okay, so if God made my ear and God made my eyes, if He made those, that means He hears and that means He sees everything that we do and everything we say. Why is it sometimes we think that God can't see or God can't hear what we're doing? No, He sees. If He made the eye and He made the ear, that means He hears everything I say and He sees everything I do. Right? And, and I'm not, you know, if I wanted to preach like Bishop, I'd take you to the heavens or like Timothy. I'd talk about the ear and all of its mechanical, majestic mechanical makeup and how it all works. And if I really wanted to take you to the heavens, I would do that today. Amen. But I won't. I'll let Timothy do that. Amen. Or think about the eye with 10 million little, little electric functions in the eye. Ten million electric pulses. 
And, I, you know, so if I really want to preach, I talk about the optic nerve. I talk about how you can distinguish color. And, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say basically what it says is you got ears and you got eyes. And if you can hear and you can see, God can hear and God sees. Okay? Better than we can. Verse 13, Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty, open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. So basically, it's going back again to the sluggard, being too lazy. Too much sleep is not good. So there has to work. Very simple, basic. I love the book of Proverbs. So simple, so basic. There has to be a balance of work and a balance of rest in your life. Can't be all work. Can't be all rest. It's got to be a proper balance. Now, why is this in the book of Proverbs? Practically speaking, if you sleep all the time, you're not going to have anything to eat. Amen? But on the highest level of wisdom in the book of Proverbs, this is what somebody does who does not live for the Lord. Because the highest level in the book of Proverbs is to teach you how to fear God. Amen? And if you don't have a proper balance of work in your life, all you do is sleep your life away, that is a sign that you're not walking with God the way you're supposed to walk with Him. That's the highest level of wisdom. Amen? Because work glorifies God. And they say, well, that, it came with the curse. No, God put man in the Garden of Eden before the fall of man to keep it, to, to keep it and to till it. It was only after he fell that by the sweat of his brow he had to earn a living. Do you understand, brothers and sisters, that work is something that glorifies and honors God Almighty? And if we do it, we're glorifying and honor God. But if we don't and we're lazy, Say praise the Lord that we are dishonoring our Creator because work is not a part of the curse. Hard labor is. Say praise the Lord. Right? Some people run from work as hard as they can because that, that's a curse. No, you honor God. When you work hard. Okay. Verse 14. This is interesting. It, okay. It is not, it is not, saith the buyer, but when he is gone his way, then he boasteth. You ever been around somebody like that? They want to buy something from you. And they see what you got. They say, oh, that's not worth anything. Right? So it's not just buyer beware, it's seller beware. How many of y'all like good bargains? I love bargains. Everybody loves bargains. Okay? But you've got people that'll come up and they'll look at what you have to sell and they'll say, that's not worth nothing. Why don't you just give it to me? Not worth anything. And then they get it, you know, they pay it, they talk you down, price, talk the price down. They get it, 
They walk out of your garage sale and say, Woo! This thing's worth $200 and I paid a nickel for it. That's what he's talking about. See, buyer beware, but seller beware. Because there's some people that will tell you what you have ain't just trash. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed when you go to take your car in to trade it? When you bought it, it was gold. Right? The salesman, when you bought it, told you it was gold. And then you took it to the same salesman you bought it from, and when you wanted him to buy it, it's trash. And it's the same car. I never could figure that out. It was gold when I bought it, but now it's trash when I want to sell it to you. <laughs> ever been, anybody ever been there? I never could understand how in the world and I could pay a certain amount of money, drive it off the car lot. I mean, I get depreciation, but I mean, you know, half price. I'm joking. You pay your back, well, you pay 20, it's worth 10 now. What? You told me it was gold. Did it hold its value? And now you're trying to, you know, you want to buy it back from me, so you want to devalue the car, steal it from me. Anybody ever had that happen to you? I mean, not in any of the dealerships that we have here in this house, I know, but you know what I'm saying? I just never could figure it out. I just, man, I thought when I bought this thing, I had a really, you know, nice vehicle that wouldn't depreciate in value too much. And now it's nothing but a piece of junk. <laughs> you know. Okay, so ba basically that's what God is saying here in His Word. It's not just buyer beware, seller beware. Because there's some people that they have the ability to talk you down. Amen? How many of y'all ever been burned? Praise the Lord. I don't have any problem. I love, I love car salesmen. I got a church full of them. I love every one of you. I give you a big hug by next. Sell 50, 50 or 60 a month. I don't care. I will just, amen. But y'all, y'all do your business right, don't you? Don't y'all? Don't y'all? You better. You better. Say amen. People do that, though. So, okay, now, so the verse is also teaching you be willing to pay a fair, a fair price. Okay, so don't be like the person that's always trying to devalue everything. It's okay to bargain. I love to bargain. Okay, I love to haggle. I do. I love it. It's an art. Somebody, you know, Trump wrote the book, The Art of the Deal. Somebody ought to write the book, The Art of the Haggle. Really? Okay. I mean, it's fun to haggle, right? And get a good deal. But let me say this. If when you go up there and you see something that you want to buy, and you know that that person has put a fair price on that, in your mind you were willing to pay more than that. Right? Say somebody's got something, and uh, they say, I'll let it go for $500. And in your mind, you'd already said, I'm willing to pay up to $1,000 for that. 
in your mind, you're willing to pay that. Right? And they said 500. You should have snapped it up. But you try to get them to go lower than that. You say, I'll give you three. Well, in your mind, you would have paid a thousand. What God is saying is this, not only as a seller do you need to beware, buyer beware, yes, but be willing to pay a fair price for something. If you see, you see something, man, that, it's worth that. I'm going to pay that because it's worth that. Right? That's good business practice. I had a man work for me uh, on my RV over there in Rio Dosa, New Mexico. And brothers and sisters, I know what they get per hour to work on an RV. They get like $150 an hour. Okay? So I called this man to come and work on the RV. I normally work on my own because I can't afford to hire somebody to come and work on my stuff all the time. This thing was too, too complicated. I couldn't do it. So I had, had him come out. He had, he had a hand, him and himself, himself and a, another man with him. And they worked, and they worked, and they worked, and they worked, and they worked. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, here's basically what the bill is going to be. When he gave me the invoice, it was way down here. And his work was not, you know, anything less than excellent. And he gave me that bill. I said, I'm not paying you that. You're not charging me enough. Okay? And I paid him what was another $100, $150 on top of his labor cost. There's just something about doing right in business. Amen? And I tell you what, I made a friend because that wasn't the only time I needed him. I'm not saying that to glorify myself or he gets the glory. But I'm just telling you because I did that, I needed him again. And as soon as I called him, he was there. And he, he, he worked hard. Fixed this and called him in. And now I got a friend. I'm calling him up on the telephone. I know he knows me by voice. My voice. He knows who I am. By voice. Because I treated the man right. You with me here? Say, well, you know, you got in your mind this guy, he's going to charge a thousand dollars in your mind. You already settled to do that. He says, I'm only going to charge you five hundred. And then you say, oh, that's too high. That's what God's talking about. Don't be that kind of a person. Look at what you have and be willing to pay a fair price for it. And I promise you, in life, you, you treat people like that in life, it'll come back to you. You're always trying to get to somebody all the time, that'll come back to you too. Hallelujah. Now, do you mind if I'm a little practical with you today? Amen. Somebody comes and does work for you and did a great job for you. But yet, you want to nitpick it. Even though you know it's, it's fair and they did a good job, but you want to nitpick it to death just so you can save a dollar. That's not right. Now, if they go out and they mess something up, they don't do it right, you have a right as a consumer 
to call them back. Say, you need to fix this. You didn't fix it right. You have a right to do that. But if they did a good job, don't nitpick them to bring the price down. It's not only buyer beware, it's seller beware. Okay? Be good, Christina, that's good. Be just in your dealings. Okay? It's not just about coming to church. It's about the way we live out there. Now, brothers and sisters, I've not one time ever told that those two guys, Christine, not one time did I ever tell them when they first started coming and when I did that, that I was a pastor. Didn't tell them. I didn't tell them. And these kind of guys, man, you know, real hard workers, real smart. Okay? Um, they'd get out there, they'd cuss. Man, 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 man. Cuss. Man, man, man. And I'd just get out there, I'd just have a good time with them, talk to them, they'd cuss. Man, man, man. I didn't preach to them. I didn't condemn them. And after they came out, it was about the third time. <laughs> so I needed more than once. Finally, it came out that I was a pastor. They go, whoa! Man, we've been dropping the F-bomb and... <laughs> you know? I mean, like, it's gonna, like my ears are going to catch on fire or something, you know? Like... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I don't do people like that. And eventually came out and we're good friends, you know. And uh, this, y'all mind if I talk to you about my life? I'm sorry, I apologize. But he, you know, he's a pretty good sized guy. He wanted to arm wrestle me, you know. Arm wrestle you. I guess he'd been watching Over the Top with Stallone, you know, Over the Top. Right, that's all he talked about, Over the Top. No. So, you know, he said something about about me, and he said, "Hey." I want to arm wrestle you after we get done here. And he says, when we do, I'll lower the price. I said, I'm not going to do that. I said, the last time I arm wrestled people, my arm hurt for a month, man. I said, I got guys in the church, they strong an ox, man. And we were trying to, like Brother Patrick, you know, and Brother Jared. I said, I arm wrestled that guy, about broke my arm. I said, I'm not doing that. I don't care how much money you give me. You know. Well, so in the end, we was playing around, right, Brother? Stand up. We was playing around. I... So he, he took my hand like this, and I go, took him down. Oh, it's on now. We didn't sit down. It wasn't a formal thing. But I said, that, you know. He goes, he goes, he tried to get me over the top. <laughs> and I told his friend, I said, you see him trying to get me over the top? I put him down again like that, you know. <laughs> so I'm testing it a little bit. So next year, if, it's, if I have him next year, and I have to have him, I'm going to say, let's go. Because <laughs> I know, I tell you, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Amen. But we want to we be fair to people, don't we? But sister, we need to be fair to each other. Not just each other, but to people. Say, praise the Lord. Always trying to finagle. I mean, that's all right. Get the bargain, man. But be willing to pay a fair price. How many of y'all are willing to do that? How many of y'all have lived like this? Good. 
His name's Daniel Price. Pray for Daniel Price. Okay. So verse 14, again, it is not, it is not, saith the buyer. But when he goeth his way, then he boasteth. Yeah, I took them. Not good. Verse 15, there is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. There's some things that are valuable to God. God puts value on. And there's some things that we put value on. We put value on gold and jewels, stuff like that. God puts value on wisdom. Amen? Wisdom is more valuable than gold in God's eyes. So, so go after that. Verse 16, take his garment that is surety for a stranger. Take a pledge of him for a strange woman. Bread of deceit is sweet to the man, but afterward his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Let's stop there and look at this real quick. So number one, he's telling you this, okay? I think there's two things here going on because they've got a strange woman in the passage. Okay. So he's telling you the importance of, of having security with loans. You're going you're to make a loan to somebody. Bankers know this principle. There has to be security to back it up. Okay. Are they gonna, bank's going to loan you something. I mean, unsecure loans, I understand that, but signature, whatever. But most of the time, there has to be something securing that loan. So when you make a loan to somebody, you want to have collateral. You want to have something that backs up that loan. Okay? More than the word. On the other hand, because the strange woman is in the picture, it's telling you that if you take the garment that is surety for a stranger, take a pledge of him for a strange woman, that means security for a strange woman, that you get involved with the wrong kind of woman and you'll lose your shirt. So this is a no-no. With me here? Number five, no-no. Do not get involved with strange women. You know what strange women is? The harlot. The harlot. Woman that you're not married to. No-no. Look at you and say, no-no. Boy, I mean, she's she she'll work it. You'll lose your shirt. It's not worth it. I told my wife just the other day, and I mean this with all of my heart. And you know how transparent I am, man. Okay, I'm real transparent as a pastor. I told my wife, I said, I thank God that I never fell for that trap. You with me? Now that doesn't make me better than you, and I don't say that self-righteously. I say that in sincerity, that I never fell for that trap of going after the other woman. You will lose your behind, your shirt, if you do. Okay? And it looks good, it looks attractive, it looks fun, temporary pleasure, huh? Because the next verse tells you what's going to happen. There's what's called the aftertaste of sin. 
Brothers and sisters, if you're not, you're not a married man, you stay away from those women that will seduce you. They will take your shirt. They'll talk about how much they love you and care about you and all, oh, you're the greatest thing and whatever. Don't, don't fall for it. Only the simple man does that. I thank God for a good wife. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Yeah, sin when you're involved and you're doing it, in connection with a strange woman, yeah, it feels good. But afterward, you got, you're going to eat gravel. There's an aftertaste of sin. Now, how many of you ever eat gravel before? I've never eaten gravel. <laughs> now, do you understand what I'm saying to you? When I say I thank God I never fell for that, I'm not being self-righteous and I'm not better than you. I'm just telling you that but for the grace of God, there go I. And you have to be, you have to be honest enough as a man, and if you're a woman tonight in this house, you have to be honest enough as a woman to say, but for the grace of God, there go I. Because it's not just a woman seducing a man, a man can seduce a woman. And if you can say, thank God I haven't felt fallen for that trap, that's reality. Thank God. Amen? And if you have, it's not the unpardonable sin. You put it under the blood of Jesus Christ and you keep going forward, okay? Say praise the Lord. Didn't I tell you that, Sister Christina? I told her that just the other day, man. Now I'm 55 years old. I'm not in the grave yet. You understand what I'm saying? If I make it to the grave and, and I don't fall for that trap, thank you, God. And I'm not going to. <laughs> for one thing, I'd have the wrath of God. Number two, the wrath of this woman right here. Well, no, she's always doing this. She's hoping and praying that I do. You talk about man making you a man feel important. I told her the other day, I said, I'm going to the gym, Sister Christina. And I said, if I don't come back for a while, you better go check me because somebody might hook me. Somebody might have taken me. And she goes. <laughs> you know what? It wasn't just, be, it wasn't just Christina. It was my son too. I mean, I really want it, man. But she don't mean it. I guarantee you that. I know that. She don't mean it. Okay? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Y'all with me here? Man. And if you've ever, if you've ever, you know, got in a situation like this, I want to help you. I don't want to beat you up. I want to help you. I really, I mean that. I, I want to help you. Verse 18, every purpose is established but by counsel and with good advice make war. Right? I mean, there's some things that are so important. Okay, am I boring you tonight? Uh, I'm sorry. It's just the Word of God. I'm not going to apologize for the Word. But decision that we make in life, some of them are really serious, really important decisions in life. And before you make those decisions... Get knowledge 
Learn before you make that decision. Would, would anybody go into a war, into a battle? How many of y'all know life is a war? Life is a battle. You really do. You got to face life like it's a war, man. Because if you don't, it will run over you. Okay? So you, when you're making important decisions, you need to sit down and you need to think about it and you need to get some understanding, some information about it before you do it. You wouldn't go to war if you didn't have any information about the fight you're about to fight. Right? No, come on, man. Okay. So where can you get knowledge? If you're making about to make a big decision, where can you get knowledge? Find somebody to help you, give you some advice. If an attorney, legal advice, get an attorney. Health issues, get a doctor, more than one. Spiritual things in your life, get some advice from your pastor. Don't try to handle everything on your own. You're in a fight. You need to know what to do, how to handle it. You might be surprised. I might be able to have enough God in me to help you. Okay? Because it's not just going to come out of my brain. I'm listening to the Spirit of God. I'm listening to the Holy Ghost. And if you're in something, you're trying to make a decision, I'm listening to God to try to help you make a good decision. So don't always try to fight on your own. You got people that are in your life to help you with decisions. So we're trying to fight on your own. Boom, boom, boom. You come back tore to pieces, man. Okay. So every purpose is established by counsel with good advice. Make war. Hallelujah. That's a powerful statement. He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. The flatterer and the gossiper always go together. They have hidden agendas. Stay away from them. Because what's going to happen is the gossip they want to give you, oftentimes they're going to flatter, they're going to butter you up to get you to listen to the gossip. So gossip and flattery go together. Just real basic. Verse 20. Number 6, no, no. You with me here? Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Do not curse your father or your mother. Now you go, practically speaking, mother and father, literal. All the way up to your heavenly father. Do not curse a father or a mother. Because your light will be put out in obscurity. Okay, now, I want you to go very quickly, keep your place here, go to 2 Samuel 18. I'm going to show you a man that did and what happened to him. Everybody with me still? Y'all awake? Okay, God bless you. I appreciate you being patient with me. There was a man by the name of Absalom who he, he may not have literally cursed David with his mouth, but if you start in 2 Samuel chapter 14 and go all the way through 2 Samuel chapter 18 and read about Absalom, 
you will see that David compared what Absalom, his own son, did to him. He compared that with what Shimei did when Shimei cursed him. So even though Absalom didn't specifically curse David with his mouth, his actions, in his actions he did. You with me here? Now what happened to Absalom? His light was put out in obscurity. Second Samuel 14 says he had three sons and one daughter. Second Samuel 18 verse 18 says, Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar which, in the, which is in the king's dell. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And it is called unto this day Absalom's place. Absalom's place. Because even though he had three sons, they died early. Because of what he did to his father. His light was put out in obscurity so that he didn't even have a son to carry his name. How did he die? He died by getting hung up on a tree. The Bible says, Cursed is everyone that dies on a tree. He was hung on a tree, and then you know what they did to him? They took him, and they put him under a heavy pile of rocks. The stacking of rocks upon Absalom's grave is a picture of a man that was abhorred. A picture of abhorrence before God. He died cursed, hanging on a tree. He died as an abhorrent individual in the eyes of God. He did not have sons to carry on his name. His light was put out in obscurity so that the pillar he placed for himself, he couldn't call it by his son's name. He called it by his own name. It's called Absalom's place. You want to die? You want your light to put out, be put out in obscurity? Then you curse your father or your mother. It is a very serious thing to let rebellion get in your heart. Last night when I got through preparing, reading, and studying, I went to my bed with Christina and I said, Christina, I want to tell you something. What I have studied tonight has put a fear of God in my heart. I said, I cannot allow rebellion to get inside of me and you can't allow rebellion to get inside of you. Are y'all here with me today? Come on, somebody. And I'm not going to get into details. I'm not talking about my natural father. Rebellion is a very serious, dangerous thing. And that's what happened to Absalom. So if you want your light to be put out in obscurity, curse your father or your mother. Don't even go there. If they're not what they should be, you put it in the hands of God. But you don't touch it if you want to be right with God. Okay? So when it comes to Sister Christine and I, we walk very careful 
And maybe we haven't walked even careful enough. But we've always tried to be careful when it comes to fathers. Okay? Because it is extremely serious. It can bring things on your life. I don't want it. And I went to bed telling my wife last night, I got a fear of God tonight. Okay? So that's a no-no. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a no-no. You can do it by your actions, like Absalom did, or you can do it by your words. His light went out in obscurity. Verse 21, An inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning, but the end thereof shall not be blessed. Now, inheritance is a broad term. You can talk it with just basically get-rich get schemes. Brothers and sisters, listen to your pastor. Don't get caught up in the pyramid schemes. Don't get caught up in that. That get-rich concept, most of the time, most of the time, very rarely does anybody get rich in those things. It's only the few. And it won't be you. <laughs> right? So, let's yeah, sell you the package, you know. We're going to sell you the package so you can now become a distributor and you can be a part of this pyramiding program we got, you know. Well, hallelujah! They just made money on you. I don't know anybody personally, and I'm 55 years old, that have ever got rich in a pyramid scheme. And there's a reason for that. Okay? Y'all alright? Didn't have the blessings of God on it. Yeah. Praise the Lord. You with me? Yeah. Yeah. Go to the meetings. With me, man, my aunt and uncle—they went all to all the Amway meetings. Man, it's like a football game. And they they threw money in it, man. Everything else—they still poor as they ever were. You know what I'm saying? Pyramid schemes are—they're what they are. They get rich schemes. You stay away from them, okay? And don't—and if you're already in one, don't come tell me. I don't come. Now, Pastor, I'm already in one. What do I do? I'm not touching it. It's one of them get rich schemes that have the blessing. I don't believe it has the blessing of God on it. Now, you say, I know Brother so and so, he's in that, and he's doing real good. Well, God bless him. Everybody awake. Our gamblers. Gamblers. My wife said she would go by a lottery card. But she would win. So she doesn't do it because she would win. And the whole world would know. Sister Christina won a million dollars. That's why she doesn't do it. Because she would win. She probably would. Okay. Why doesn't it work? Okay. Those people that get all those millions and millions of dollars from these, these schemes, lottery schemes. Okay, yeah. One and millions and millions of people win? Do they have the money a year later? Two, three, five, whatever? No. Most of them do not. They, they, they get it. 
but they don't keep it. Why? They got it too fast. Get rich. Okay? So that falls under that inheritance term. Now, if you want to talk about inheritance literally, there's some people who may get large inheritances. And it says you've got to be careful with that because it may not have the blessings of God on it. What it may end up doing is changing you, changing your character. If it changes your character, you don't want it. Right? So why wouldn't it have the blessing of God if it changes your character? It wouldn't have I'm not saying anything wrong with inheritance. But you better watch out. It doesn't change your character. Number two, when you get the inheritance, know what to do with it. Most people make money fast. They don't know what to do it, and they lose everything they got because they don't know how to maintain it. They don't know how to take care of it. They don't know how to keep it. Okay. So praise the Lord. If you get an inheritance, thank you, Jesus, right? But just know what. Don't let it change your character. Know what to do with it. Know how to maintain it. Know how to be responsible with it. And everything will be fine. It will be a blessing for you. Okay? Because some people, they get it fast. Boom, they get it fast. And find out, what happened to them? They, they just had to, yeah, they don't have it anymore. They lost it. Didn't take care of it. You are, you are a, we are stewards of God's money. We are stewards of wealth. God expects us to only to receive it, but to take care of it when we get it. Right? Somebody said, praise the Lord. Like me throwing the fist at you. Hallelujah. You know what my, my grandma did? Grandma Foster did? Grandma Foster. When she passed away, you know what she did with her will? She said, I'm going to let my grandkids, okay, my, my children, my grandkids, buy, buy, literally, B-U-Y, buy my mineral rights. So she passed away, and I got a chance to buy mineral rights. See, y'all look at me. He said, he's a rich man. Look, I can see it in your eyes. Y'all are thinking, man, he's rich. So I bought mineral rights, right? Well, basically, how much would the check we would get? No, we get more than that. We get like 40 or... Well, it went from $30, $30 to, to $60 for what? Every quarter? Yeah, okay, so I really got rich, didn't I? Making $60 a quarter, man. That means, how many months is a quarter? Four months? That's about $15 a month. Is that right? Math, math man. See how long it takes him? I love to ask him simple math questions. He goes, Fifteen dollars a month, right, brother Timothy? Sixty dollars a quarter. <laughs> Thanks. You're giving me more information. Okay, I love it. All right, but she made us buy those. 
How much did we pay for that? $1,500. I thought it was like five. You let me spend $1,500 on a $15 a month return? Well, they gave me the, the, the opportunity to buy more rights. You know, and I said, nah, I think I'll pass. Okay, now hold on, hold on, hold on. This gets good. So all of a sudden, man, I started getting all kinds of letters in the mail, you know, last year or so. People wanted to buy that, that mineral right from me. Something like a $10,000 offer to buy a $15 a month investment. Man, you know, and I am, to be honest with you, I said, this can't be right. I threw it in the trash. So this, this, this get rich thing fast. This is a scam. I just tear them up throwing the trash. Are y'all here? And a few weeks ago, I found out why they were making that kind of offer to me. Okay? Because evidently, somebody else drilled on that property and struck oil. Let me just put it to you this way. That one investment I made, I made it up in one check. It went from $15 to more than I invested. Okay, so praise the Lord, you know. And uh, so hallelujah. But my grandma, she's smart. She made us buy it. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. God is good. You just never know. You just stay faithful to God. You never know. You see? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's all I'll say. But I'm going to tell you this one thing. My God is faithful. Because that, that came, that came at an important time in our life. I'll just put it to you that way. It came just the right, right time. And it came totally unexpected. From an investment we made how many years ago? We first got married. Long time ago. You just never know, man. I should have I should have bought more. Now I don't know how often that's going to happen but praise the Lord anyhow, you know. But she was a smart lady. Okay? She knew when to give it, how to give it, what to do with it. Cuz she knew most of her grandkids weren't really in position to know what to do with inheritance. So I I hear you I hear you right now you're saying now don't say anymore, Pastor, because my family's got an inheritance that's supposed to come to me. And if you keep talking, then you're gonna talk them right out of giving it to me. <laughs> no, it's okay if it has the blessings of God on it. And you know how to handle it, what to do with it, and you're responsible when you get it. Amen? Yeah, it can mess you up, man. Quick money can mess you up. It can mess you up. Mess your character up. All kinds of problems start breaking out. Hallelujah. It's amazing how much you love each other until the inheritance comes. <laughs> Grandma's thimble, that belongs to me. No, it don't. That belongs to Jethro. Give me that thimble. 
crazy, man. Hello? That's why the Bible's right. Sometimes a inheritance doesn't have the blessing of God on it. You know why? Because you don't let it have the blessing of God on it. You don't make a big war out of everything. Everybody said, praise the Lord. By the way, if you don't have a will, get a will. Praise the Lord. Get a will. Leave it all to the church. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I promise you I'm kidding. I promise you. I know I shouldn't have said that. I'm just kidding. There's some pastors that are like that though. They tell you, you leave that, you leave it all to the church. Hallelujah. Save a lot of problems though, wouldn't it? <laughs> So anyway, Sister Christina talked about it. You know, we're going to leave Jeremiah and Victoria. We have two dogs. <laughs> one of them's name is Star. That's Victoria's dog. And one of them's name Mitzi. Missy. I'll call her Ditsy. Come here, Ditsy. So I told Sister Christina, I said, we're going to bequeath, we bequeath Star to Victoria and we bequeath Ditsy to Jeremiah. <laughs> Say praise the Lord. Sometimes it's not it's not a blessing. <laughs> God is good, huh? Money does strange things to people. It really does. So an inheritance may be gotten what? Hastily. That's the point. At the beginning. But the end thereof shall not be blessed. 22. This is number 7. No, no. Say not thou I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord and He will save thee. That's a no-no. It's a no-no to... Um, to seek vengeance. It's a no-no. Right? Okay. What time is it? It's nine. I need to let y'all go. It's a no-no. Don't go through life trying to make people pay. If you're the kind of person that every, every time somebody does something to you, they look at you, they say something, they don't, what, they don't treat you the way you want them to treat you. So now you're going to make them pay. Okay, so what's going to happen? You know what the cycle's going to be? You make them pay. They're going to make you pay. Because that's the way it's going to be. It'll never end. It'll just be an ongoing cycle of making somebody pay. So when it comes to vengeance, the Bible's very clear. You put it in the hands of God and you let God take care of it. Because if you don't, you're trying to make somebody pay. Yeah, I'll make them pay for what they did, for, did to me. It's not good. How many of y'all believe that God can balance the scales? He can balance the scales. I promise you, He can balance the scales. You may not see it right now, but you put it in the hands of God, and I promise you, God will balance the scales. But you don't want to go through life always trying to get back. I'm going to get them back. You know, there's some people that they live with that get back mentality. I'm going to get you back for what you did to me. No, give it to God. 
God can balance the scales. Amen? That's a no-no. Don't say not that I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord. He shall save thee. Verse 23. Divers' weights are an abomination to the Lord, and a false balance is not good. We're back to being honest in business again. Verse 24. Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? How many of y'all know we need God to lead us? Need God's direction in our life. Who's the way, the truth, and the life? Not me. He is. So we need God to direct our lives. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Y'all believe that today? Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? So, do you understand everything about you? Do you understand yourself? Do you understand everything that you do? Why you do it? Okay. Do you understand why things happen to you? Do you sit there and try to figure out why that happened to me? That's really bad. This is why you and I have to, to commit our ways to God because you think about Joseph in the Old Testament. What did he say? He told his family, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The Bible says that God can make even the wrath of men to praise Him. Did you, did you get that? He can make even the wrath of men to praise Him. In the book of Acts, the Bible said the by the predetermined counsel of God, Jesus was crucified by the hands of evil men. That did not take the responsibility away from the hands of the evil men that did it. They're responsible for doing it. But God in His predetermined plan used that to bring salvation to us. So there are things that go on in our life that we don't understand even made by the hands of evil people. But God can use it to fulfill some plan or purpose that He has. That's why you and I have to be very careful about putting our hands in every situation and trying to be involved with it. Because we don't know what... We don't know the way. We don't even know the why. How many times you were involved in something and you said, no, it should be this way. And so you got involved and they did it your way. And it didn't turn out good. Or you saw a situation and you thought, man, this is not the way it should be done. But you said, but I'm just going to leave that alone. I'm going to see what God's going to do in it. And you lifted your hands off of it and it's amazing what God did with that. See, we got to, we got what the Bible's teaching us today, and I tell you, every verse is a message. You and I have to get to a place where we trust God with everything in our lives. Even, doesn't mean I have to accept everything. I'm not saying that. Don't you have to accept everything that comes your way? Some things are out of your control. And you have to say, they're out of my control, and I'm putting it in God's hands. So God, 
You see the big picture. I don't. Okay? They still be responsible for what they did when they crucified the Lord. But He used it to bring salvation. Right? Say amen. Woo. Yeah. Or do you want to sit, or do you want to sit in life full of bitterness for the rest of your life? Bitter and anger and resentment and vengeance and get back and make them pay mentality. Is that the way you want to live? Or do you want to just give it to God? Amen. Verse 25, number 8, no-no. This is the last one of the no-nos. It is a snare to, a, to the man who devoureth that which is holy and after vows to make inquiry. That is a no-no. What is he saying? He's saying that a person makes a, a, a vow to God, a promise to God. The word devour, by the way, in this verse, means promise. You with me? It is a snare to the man who devoureth that which is holy. That means makes a promise. Makes a commitment that they're going to do something. Makes a promise to God. Let me just get down to it, okay? Makes a promise to God. After they make a promise to God, afterward they inquire, which means they reconsider the promise that they made to God. And God says, that is a snare. That is a trap. You, in the presence of God Almighty, you make a promise to God, and you don't keep that promise to God, you renege, that is a snare. Okay? Once you say something, you're going to do something. You make a promise to God, you don't renege. You keep that promise. Alright? There's certain things a person can make a promise to God on. And if they renege, the Bible is, I mean, it records exactly what's going to happen to them if they renege. One example is in Ecclesiastes, I believe Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It talks about a person who made a vow to God. It says, you keep that vow because the angel of the Lord heard it. You don't keep that promise that you made to God. There's an angel. See, if you keep your promise to God that you made to God, there's an angel that will help you. You make a promise to God and you don't keep it. There's an angel that heard you say that and you didn't keep that promise. That brings a snare to your life. This is not just some kind of uh, physical trap. This is spiritual. Angel will hear it. You didn't keep that promise. There's a snare waiting for you. There's a trap waiting for you. I am, I am shocked. Okay, at times with people 
make promises to God right in the presence of God, before God. And don't keep it. If you, if you make a promise, you say something, something comes out of your mouth. Remember, God heard that. Don't after the fact get alone and they then reconsider it and think about, it. oh, you know, uh, now I've got, it costs me. <laughs> because when you make promises to God, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you by the word of God, according to this verse, you're going to pay a price. A price. And when you make that promise, you have to be willing to pay that price. For example, God called me into the ministry. And I stood up in that church, the church I was born in, and I told the whole congregation, God has called me into the ministry to preach His Word. God heard me say that. I'm going into the ministry, is what I said. Okay? Well, now, been in the ministry over 20, close to 25 years in this church, and even before that. Okay? When it gets hard, it gets difficult, it gets tough at times, it gets rough at times, you're not careful. You'll renege. And you'll say, I'll reconsider. No. When we make a promise before God, we say it before God, and we say, Lord, I know I'm going to pay a price for this commitment, but I'm willing to pay that price. And if you're not willing to pay a price when you make that commitment, do not make that commitment before God. Okay? Because the consequences are going to come, you know? I mean, the price you got to pay is going to come. And you'll sit around and say, man, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Reconsider it. That's what it means. After the fact, you look into it. After the fact, you inquire. You change your mind. Very serious. So look at your name and say, that's a no-no. It's a no-no to make a promise to God and renege on that. Okay, say amen. It's better just to keep your promise before the Lord. And see, another aspect of this, and I know it's already 9.15, I know you get tired, but another aspect of this is like, okay, Lord, I made that promise to you, uh, but Lord, I changed my mind, and hey, God, uh, I sure would appreciate if you would exempt me. What do you think God's going to do with that? You made a promise to God, but now you changed your mind, so now you want exemption. No. God says it's a snare. Then they give exemptions like that. So we have to be careful about making promises in the presence of God, before God, and then not keeping them. That is a no-no. Okay? I would rather have a young man who carefully contemplates the call into ministry, 
who says no to it because he hasn't thought it through he doesn't know I'd rather have a young man say no I don't want to do it then somebody say yes I want to preach I want to do that and then a year or two goes by you don't even see him in the church anymore it's a snare God heard he heard you say that he heard you when you said that and brothers and sisters if you said it to me I believed you I believed you. What changed? What changed? What caused you to reconsider? God heard you. I heard you in some cases. I believed you. Or do you come to me with something? I'd rather have a young man say, no, I don't want it. And then later on, after careful consideration, knowing the price that they're going to have to pay to do it, after they come to that understanding, then come to me and say, I'm ready now. And somebody say, I'm, I want to do it and then not do it. Okay? Everybody with me? Brother said, you know how many people have told me it through the years that I've pastored, how many people have told me things? People told me they're going to be called in the ministry, told me this, told me that. Don't even know where they are today. How can we live with these promises that are unkept? I don't understand it. When you make a promise for the Lord, you say, I'm here. I made a commitment. I'm a covenant keeper. And it's going to cost me, but I'm going to pay the price. Amen. The positive side... I thank God for, for most of you because y'all are people when you say something you're going to do, you do it. And I've seen some of you do it even when you didn't have it to do it. But simply because you made a promise to God Almighty, you kept that promise. Amen? And, if, and then listen, brother and sister, if God wants, you to, wants to release you from that commitment, He can do it. But I can't. And ultimately, you can't either. Amen? Just keep your words. Keep your word. That's why very, you know, listen with me, hear me? Okay, I love y'all. I'm trying to help you. When we say something to a saint, if I forget it, I'm going to tell you the next day, I can say something, I'm going to do something. If I forget it, it's eating my lunch. We told a saint not long ago we were going to do something. And I asked Sister Christina just the other day, I said, did we take care of that? Sister Christina said, I took care of that. Because that was eating at me. Probably nothing to them. Probably nothing to them. And I made a promise. And I intend on keeping it. Okay? I made a promise to you and I made a promise to this church and I made a promise to God. And brother and sister, I intend on keeping it. And ultimately, that promise is I'll preach this word without fear or favor. 
I'll preach it without compromise. I'll preach it even if it costs me. Okay? So, said right now, I, you know, and I'm not screaming and I'm not shouting, but I feel the anointing of God in my hands. Big no-no. It's a snare to the man who devoureth that which is holy. And after vows to make inquiry. A wise king scattereth the wicked and bringeth the will over them. A wise king scattereth what? The wicked. And brings what? The will over them. Real fast, okay? You know what the will is? It's the threshing wheel, the threshing floor. This is an instrument that they used at times to punish people with. They'd roll the threshing floor wheel over them, okay? And so a king, king at times have to be strong. People in authority have to be strong at times. Why? Because there is wickedness. A king cannot allow wickedness to be in his nation. Can allow wickedness to remain in the kingdom. You understand? It has to be dealt with immediately and firmly. It has to be removed. It has to be judged. Is everybody with me? So there are times when the person authority is required by God to be strong and pass judgment and remove the wicked. You with me here? What we have today is we have leaders who are too soft. We need leaders that are strong. That will say no to people who want to come into this nation, into this country, and bring all kinds of rebellion and gangster mentalities and murder and drugs. And anybody that says, eh, we should have open borders, we should let them all come in. If the ruler of our nation lets that happen, he's not obeying this word. He has a responsibility before God Almighty, not just the people of America, but before God Almighty to make sure he removes wickedness from the borders of that nation and not let it in. The other side is mercy. We'll get to that in a minute. So you have to have a king that's strong and you have to have a king at times that's merciful. Not too hard and not too soft. Okay, you with me? Now, Trump recently, just recently, nominated the next Supreme Court justice. Alright, you with me? And what they said about him was this is that he's strong constitutionally. He'll uphold the law. He won't legislate from the bench. That means make up the rules as he goes. For him, it's not a living document. To him, it's a legal document. That's the kind of person you want. You want somebody that sees the Constitution not as a living, fluid document, always subject to change, but somebody that's a legal document. 
and will make their decisions based on the law. Here's what they said about him. He's strong when it comes to the Constitution, but he's also very kind and compassionate. So when this present nominee, and I don't know where it will go, I don't know what will come out on him, he's strong, but yet he's soft. You need both. Okay? So a wise king scattereth the wicked and bringeth the will over them. Say a wise king. What's going to happen if he doesn't do that? It'll start affecting. It'll be like a poison, man. It'll start affecting society. It'll affect people if he allows it to continue. I think you're smart enough to know that. Okay? You with me here? Verse 28, look at 28, and I'll go back up in a minute. Mercy and truth preserveth the king, and his throne is upholden by what? Mercy. So those, those two qualities then are very important. Mercy and truth. You've got to have both of them. Not too strong, not too soft. But if you've got somebody that's not willing to make hard decisions and judge the wicked situations and just let them all come in. You have a weak leader. But if you got somebody that doesn't know how to operate in mercy and compassion, that can be a problem. Okay? With me? Yeah, a strong leader, but if you don't have compassion and mercy, what's that going to do to the people? It's going to affect their morale. So with somebody that'll that'll uh, be strong, but also merciful, so the morale of the people are not squished. Okay, with me here. Very fine line, but you've got to have both of them, and that's what we need. The leader, the leaders, civil leaders, spiritual leaders, etc. Okay, here we go. Everybody with me here? A wise king scattereth the wicked, bringeth the will over them. The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. An animal is, is led by instinct. It knows what it is. A bee does what it does because it's a bee. And it does it by instinct. It knows how to make that hexagon cone in there. It's amazing. 120 degree angles and six sided part of that cone. And that's just the exact right dimensions to hold a tremendous amount of fluid. And so the little bee, how in the world it knows how to do that, to take little material, insignificant material, and to make that hexagon-type shape of that cone, and, and so it have the right dimensions for fluid, and, and the dances that it dances to let the other bees know where the nectar is. That's what a bee does by instinct every day. Amen? But you're not, you are more than an animal. You're not led by instinct. You have it, but you're led by the, God put a spirit in you. Not instinct, spirit. And the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord or the lamp of the Lord. You with me here today? If you are the lamp of the Lord, your spirit is the lamp of the Lord, then we are supposed to be spirit, soul, then body. 
An unbeliever is this, body, then soul, then spirit. A believer is controlled by spirit. Spirit over soul, body. So the spirit controls the senses, the passions, the emotions. It, it, it controls the bodily functions. Amen. Our body and its functions. That's the way it's supposed to be. Your spirit. The only way that the spirit will control the soul and the body though is if the light of the lamp comes into the lamp. And the light of the lamp is the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost comes into your spirit, it lightens you, gives you light. Without the Holy Ghost in your lamp of your spirit, your spirit is in darkness. So God comes in, fills you with the Holy Ghost, puts His Spirit within your spirit. His Spirit's the light, your Spirit's the lamp, and you are led by His Spirit, controlled and governed. Your soul, amen? Emotions, will, mind, your body functions should all be under the control of the Holy Ghost. Amen, that amazing? That God put His Spirit on the inside of you so He could put His Spirit inside of that Spirit. And from deep within you, that's the way that you are cover, governed and controlled. Amen. The Spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. Verse 28, mercy and truth that we read that. Verse 29, the glory of a young man is their strength and the beauty of old men is their gray head. Amen. When you get time, read 2 Samuel 19, beginning with verse 31. You'll read about an old man. I don't have time tonight. But after the rebellion of Absalom, David went to this old man. He's around 80 years old. He said, I want you to come with me. And that old man said, no, David. He said, I'm so old, I'm about ready to die. David said, no, I want you to come with me. The old man said, no, not me, so-and-so. Let so-and-so go with you. The old man didn't see his value. The young man that, that the old man said, David, take him, and David did. That young man had power and strength. But that old man had wisdom. And David knew it. And so David said, I want you to come with me because you're valuable. And so the verse of God, the glory of the young man is their what? Strength. Power. The beauty of old men is the gray head. The wisdom that they have. Verse 30, closing the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. Ooh, powerful statement. Say the blueness of the wound Cleanses away evil. That's telling you that sometimes God uses very severe things in your life. Amen. To get rid of the evil in your life. The blue speaks of a smiting. Amen. But the good news tonight, if you have been smitten and you see the blue, the bruise, the good news, bruise is saying, that the smiting has already happened. That it's, all, it's behind you. And now you're in healing mode. There are times when God 
comes to you and I with very severe methods and when He does, it's like the smiting that leaves the marks on our skin. But when we see that, we say, thank God it's over. Now I'm healed. Now I'm being healed. That's what the blue tells you. When you're, when you got, if you got a bruise, do you know what they're saying? It's saying you're being healed. And you've been through the smiting. Man, I don't know about you, but I've been through some things that God really, you know, and I got some marks. The marks are saying, yeah, it's over now. Severe methods. Consequences required. But now I can be healed. And the evil can be driven away from me. The blueness of a wound cleanses the way it was so do stripes the inward parts of the belly. Amen. God bless you so much. Please stand. So I hope that you and I can remember these eight things that are taboo. There are eight things that we should say no to every time. I appreciate your patience with me tonight. Your willingness to stay and hear the Word of God. It's different because I'm preaching to you 30 messages in one. So it's, it's a different kind of preaching, you know, saying, but I trust that the Word of God will help you in your life. When you make decisions, you'll make good decisions, practical decisions, wise decisions, things that'll cause you to, number two level, to live holy and righteous before God. Number three, the highest level, and that is to fear God and to serve God with all of your life and to know that what sometimes you look at and I look at is just real insignificant things that we do in life are really a testimony that we are the servants of God in truth. God bless you. I love each and every one of you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.